So the historic constitutional amendment to lower the voting age to 18 years old from 21 was voted unanimously by members of the parliament, passed again unanimously in the Senate back in 2019. The three-in-one constitutional amendment package was eventually given a royal assent by the Yang Tuanagong on September 4th and later gazetted on September 10th. However, the then Pakatan Harapan government told the public that the implementation will be fully in place by July 2021. Hi, this is Norman Goh, and you're listening to Bicharming Ini. So coming back to this new episode this week after the Chinese New Year celebration, and I'd like to wish all listeners a very happy Lunar New Year. So apart from the so-called silence by certain members of the cabinet over the reports of sexual harassment by the authorities, what came up this week was about the implementation for Undi 18. Or really, is it a U-turn? So speaking to me in this episode is Tama Pile, the co-founder of Undi Lapamblas, a youth-led movement dedicated to democratic reform, whom he co-founded with his lifelong partner Kira Yusri. Both of them were pivotal in lobbying the then PH government to lower the age of voting to 18. So welcome to Bicharmingu Ini, Tama. Uh, hi Norman, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, despite your busy, busy uh, schedule, I think uh, I think this whole morning everyone was just angry. There was a whole lot of anger since uh, morning, I think since last night, to say the least. So it all began with the remarks made by the Senate Speaker, who is also the Senate President, Tan Sri Rais Yatim, who said that the decision to lower the voting age to 18 years old starting this July was one made hastily and teenagers are still not ready to commit to the democratic process. And Deputy Youth and Sports Minister Wan Ahmad Faisal, who was once a special officer to the Minister Said Sadiq, who said that Malaysians are not ready to vote 18 years old. <laughs> so he said that yesterday. So that really opened up the floodgates on social media. But I want to know, what are your thoughts coming from an administration like this? What kind of message are they sending? Um, for me, I think it, it, is, uh, it, is, it is a clear indication that they are backpedaling. Uh, it is an indication that they are not um, as confident and not as clear in terms of the path forward in terms of gazetting and making sure that the Undi 18 bill, uh, and this includes automatic voter registration and also the lowering, lowering of the voting age. So it's uh, it's two amendments. Um, so they are not confident of getting this uh, implemented in the scheduled time or in the promised uh, time. So for me, I see when administrative uh, uh, officials, right, you have the Dewan Negara speaker, um, who is the young deputy Dewan Negara, who is also part of the ruling party, Bersatu. And you also have the deputy minister of youth and sports, who is supposed to be one of the people overseeing the implementation of this, uh, of this initiative, um, also from the ruling party, which is Bersatu, right? Um, so there's no coincidence here, right, that they are echoing the same message that young people somehow are not ready, um, therefore pushing the blame onto young people uh, not being ready enough, uh, instead of taking on the responsibility to implement certain education policies, certain uh, initiative, certain structural reforms, uh, in order to get what they perceive as a, re- a level of readiness um, for this bill. So looking at the current situation, right? do you think the whole Undi 18 agenda will be in limbo? Uh, maybe delayed, maybe U-turn, we don't know. They may even backpedal like what you said and cancel the whole constitutional amendment to repeal it even. We don't know yet. But although these amendments were gazetted in 2019, um, do you think that the government 
this administration will delay the implementation, the three-in-one package, namely the age of voting to 18, automatic uh, voter registration, and lowering the age of running for public office to 18. Will be, right now, everything will be in jeopardy. Mm. Um, I think, firstly, um, just to note from a legal aspect, um, the, the current administration uh, does not have the, the authority to sort of cancel the constitutional amendment uh, or to repeal it. Uh, in order to do that, they would need a two-third majority in parliament and also in the Dewan Negara. Um, so they have to go through that process again in order to repeal or reverse it. So that it doesn't seem likely that they have the numbers. Um, you know, two-third majority is a very distant uh, number uh, for, for this government, right? Um, however, what the executive can do and what, what is entirely under, the, under their control is to determine when do they want to implement it. So when PH was in power um, uh, under Tumahadi, the, the, the plan was that uh, they will implement it by July 2021. We also had a reassurance from uh, various members of the cabinet uh, last year, especially uh, the, the Minister of Law, that the implementation is on track and it will be implemented by July 2021. So um, basically as of last year, there was no problem. It is only this year uh, I think um, perhaps because of a changing political climate, because of political instability, because uh, they may not feel that political sentiment is in their favor. Um, I think these are some factors that they may have taken into account. And you can see that there is a, a significant change in rhetoric. From previously, they were still confident. They were like, okay, this can still can be done. All of a sudden, they've changed their rhetoric. So I can't be 100% sure um, in terms of whether or not this thing, this amendment will be suspended in terms of the implementation, which is why we are calling for um, the, the Prime Minister, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin, and also his administration to clarify the position. Is this going to be implemented on time so that we will not speculate, right? Because what we have right now, what the public has been seeing is that representatives of his administration, and these are not low-key members, this is the Deputy, Prime, Deputy Minister and also uh, the leader of the Dewan, uh, Dewan Negara, two very important figures, both saying that they're not confident on the, uh, on the implementation. So we need the government, especially the Prime Minister, to re-clarify and restate his commitment to implementing uh, the uh, Undi Itin Bill by July 2021. So in your opinion, why, why is it so sudden, this kind of topic suddenly, you know, cop up again? Uh, although it was given a reassurance by the law, de facto law minister last year, that was then. Uh, like what you said, the political climate has changed in in this year particularly, has changed tremendously. And, you know, what was said last year may not be implied again this year. What made that change in the position, a possible change in the position of this administration? Um, so I, I think uh, in terms of public sentiment, right? Um, so for us, I think we've, we've, we've been hearing rumours already uh, for the past few months that there was a change of position. Um, it's just that we, it was just rumors and we, we did not want to take action or to speak out on rumors. Um, I think that's, that's a normal, you know, that's a normal principle that you take. Um, but I think um, people started reacting and people started um, strongly discussing the moment uh, um, Rais Yatim, who, uh, who released a statement or had, a, had in his interview, um, questioned the, the logic and the, valid, the validity of the, uh, of the amendment. I think that was, that was one level, right? Um, so there were a lot of civil society organizations, a lot of political parties that responded to that. 
And then we had a second uh, representative, for also from the administration, uh, YB Senator Wanamai uh, Paisal, who also repeated the exact same sentiment that um, the, the youth were not ready, in particular, in his words, the Malay youth were not ready to be engaged politically and therefore um, uh, therefore more action needed to be taken right so this again was uh, was another sentiment that uh, that basically uh, that where a lot of people from civil society and also the youth in general were, were questioning what is this government's commitment um, to answer in terms of the government's change of stance I think uh, I, I sort of touched on this earlier uh, I do think that there has been a shift in sentiment uh, from the general public uh, in terms of their perception towards uh, towards this government. Uh, I think perhaps the issue of the the pandemic management, uh, the the uh, the issue of management of the economy, of how of the education processes, whether it is in terms of the the primary secondary school issue or even the university level uh, management of education. I think these are some key issues where there's a perception that mismanagement has occurred or things could have been done in a better manner. Um, so I do think that this has contributed to a, a largely negative sentiment from the public. So understandably, there, there may have been um, more fears, right, uh, that uh, that this administ administration has, has felt that, oh, the public is now turning against them, people are now uh, more negative about this government, and therefore I'm more afraid uh, about giving out democracy. But I, I do, th I think this is something that needs to be emphasized, right? Um, giving out the, the, the tenants, uh, the basic right to vote is not about political sentiment is not about playing political games, right? It is a fundamental issue of human rights. It is a fundamental issue of fairness that every adult should have the right to participate in democracy, right? Regardless of whether it will make the, the government popular or unpopular, it is an issue of, uh, of anti-discrimination, of fairness, of, uh, of human rights. So I, I think that that's something that we have to highlight uh, and we have to, um, you know, we have to fight for. So I will come to the uh, you know the expansion of universal suffrage in Malaysia itself. So looking at this, uh, there are also some questions. You being you know yourself, Kira, and also quite a number of the civil society organisations have been working closely with the previous administration in in pushing for these amendments. Um, since 2018, 2019, and now in 2021, uh, what has been some of the challenges? Uh, you know, of course, there are some questions right now saying that why. Although the amendments were, in, uh, well, they were gazetted in 2019, how come all this, the three package, three in one package, were not gazetted, uh, were not in place last year? Why does it take so long? How come the previous administration did not implement it? So essentially, what happened was um, was there was a political agreement uh, between the government and also the opposition at the time. Um, so that was uh, AMNO pass and uh, and GPS. Uh, mainly, right? So there was there was a discussion and an agreement that the implementation of the lowering of the voting age would happen concurrently with the implementation of automatic voter registration. So in a way, it was a gentleman's agreement. Uh, it was an agreement that okay, let's let's do this concurrently, uh, which is why the uh, lowering of the age of eligibility to become a candidate in an election has been decreased um, back in 2019. Right. So, um, so while there were three amendments that were done at the same time, uh, the first amendment, right, which is to lower the age of nomination of candidacy, was implemented uh, immediately, automatically. Right. Um, however, these two uh, amendments, automatic voter registration and lowering of the voting age, were supposed to be done concurrently. 
So from a legal perspective, uh, lowering of the voting age is very easy to be done because you are merely changing definitions, right? There is not as much legal, uh, sorry, uh, bureaucratic uh, background that you have to do um, after that, right? Uh, it's just a matter of getting people to register, getting 18, 19, 20 years to register and stuff like that. The challenge was the implementation of the automatic voter registration uh, because we had millions of people who, um, who were unregistered, right? Uh, that's, that's one level. Second is that you had millions of people with less than accurate um, addresses, uh, less than accurate information on, in terms of their uh, in terms of their voter registration or their uh, or their national registration, right? So these were some issues that uh, that SPR had faced, and they've been working hard over the past few years to manually input this data over time. So I think that that that, that was the the reason why um, the the delay or the or the postponement of the implementation was justified. Right, because it did take a lot of time to implement this um, this uh, automatic voter registration. However, um, this two-year period should be more than enough time for SPR to implement this already, um, implement automatic voter registration already. And therefore, there should be no reason whatsoever for both amendments to not be implemented at the same time. Because right now, we have this really weird situation where you are able to become a candidate at 18, 19, 20 years old but you cannot vote for yourself, right? Uh, which is which is such a weird dichotomy, such a weird, um, you know, uh, irony in our system right now. now. Looking at this situation, what would be the possible implications for this? And do you think this is an act of voter suppression? Or some would say you're robbing the rights of young Malaysians to exercise their democratic rights to vote. I would say absolutely. It is, it is, a, uh, it is a, in a way, a voter uh, suppression. If they decide not to not to go forward and decide to postpone um, the implementation um, f further than than they agreed upon it, right? Uh, I think the the simple logic is this, right? In a democracy, um, every single adult should have the right to vote and choose their government because every single adult has direct implications by the government which are which are chosen in terms of uh, income taxes in in terms of criminal legislation in terms of you know if let's say the government goes to war um it's this 18 year old 19 year old 20 year olds in the military for example which will have to fight and die for the country right in terms of laws such as um you know uh, signing contracts right so there are a whole major a whole number of laws that um, any adult will have to face um that is tied to the government that you choose Right. So the, the concept is this. If you categorize 18 year olds as an adult, therefore, you should you have to allow them to then choose the government of the day. So I think that that sort of basic unfairness uh, needs to be solved. So to deny them this vote, right, to deny them this opportunity to choose this government um, in a democratic process is a form of voter suppression, especially if we if we find out that the main reasoning behind this uh, postponement is because of public sentiment because they are afraid that young voters might vote in a certain way uh, or, or young voters might vote um, you know uh, in uh, against um, certain parties or against uh, government policies right so i think i think it, there is elements of uh, of potential voters voter uh, suppression if that this postponement this postponement happens
I think we've also seen some of the surveys done by Medica Center, Ilham, and other think tanks have also shown that younger voters in Malaysia do not have that sort of um, tendency to vote along the lines of the party or party loyalty. In Malay where they will say totok party, totok sokongan party. So looking at, you know, the irony of all this is that several state assemblies, uh, both under PH or even PN or even AMNO and or BN, now, they have already passed the motion in support of the constitutional amendment. And political parties are engaging even more younger Malaysians as we speak. You know, one political party can even allow a 16-year-old to join the party. Now, what, what's the big issue here? So now, looking at this, right, you know, what is the next step for Unilipan Blas? And what will you do next in ensuring that this government, or even the next, as well as the election commission, you know, we also have the election reform committee that came out with 49 uh, proposals uh, in, in terms of election, uh, electoral reforms and making sure that they will fulfill the promises on this amendment and also the other reform agenda. I think for us, uh, the next step is to re-engage uh, the public and re-engage certain key NGOs uh, and certain political parties. Right? Um, for us, we need, to, and we need to pressure the government. Uh, we need to ensure that the government uh, remembers um, the logic of it and the public remembers the logic of uh, of uh, of only eighteen, right? Um, because in the end, we, we only succeeded because there were there was a critical mass of the public that was in support of this bill, that understood the logic of this bill, and basically agreed with us, right? And that was the reason why, because of this critical mass, we were able to push it uh, into the uh, into becoming a constitutional amendment. So for us, I think we will uh, start to re-engage. If you notice on our social media, uh, we are now pushing out more content again, trying to uh, re-justify. Uh, what we've done, what we've justified in the past. Uh, but I think more importantly is to engage uh, with, uh, with, with a, number of, a number of youth NGOs to ensure that, um, that one, um, they, uh, they do speak up and in favor of, uh, of this amendment and say that, hey, this was promised to uh, the Malaysian youth and this needs to be implemented as soon as possible. Uh, or number two, um, I, think, I think another thing is that uh, a lot of youth NGOs need to start engaging young Malaysians and getting them to register as voters, right? Because a lot of people are thinking that um, the automatic voter registration is going to happen. So therefore, I don't need to waste my time to register as a voter. But it's clear that, um, or, or, or it seems that um, that this administration is thinking differently, right? Um, they're, they're sort of trying to postpone the, uh, the these two amendments. And, you know, if you listen to the rumors, it may seem that the um, the uh, the next general election may come sooner than later, right? May come even as soon as uh, as middle of this year, right? Um, so with these things in mind, it is very important that uh, youth NGOs and youth organizations engage on these two issues. One is to push for the gazettement of this uh, of this bill, of the implementation of this bill, and number two is to push their own members and also the youth in general to start registering as voters so that we are able to be involved in the democratic process. And of course, we will also have to start uh, or restart, uh, actually, uh, our engagement with key political figures um, within, uh, within the government and opposition, right? We have to remind them that this is a bipartisan effort, that in, in reality, you know, young voters are not going to vote any particular way. They're not going to be pro-PH or, uh, or, or pro-AMNO, for example, right? Because data has shown us uh, that young voters are not, you know, they're not similar to young voters in the West, where young voters always lean Democrat or always lean Labour Party, for example. That's not the case in Malaysia, 
right? Young voters tend to vote based on race, based on religion, based on geography, right? Very similar to, uh, to, their, to their older counterparts, right? Which means that, for example, in Kelantan and Tungganu, PAS would be the biggest beneficiaries of the lowering of, lowering of the voting age, right? In areas such as Johor, for example, or in Pahang, uh, AMNO may be the biggest beneficiaries. In places like Penang and Selangor, uh, PH might be the biggest uh, beneficiaries. So you can see that every major political party has their base of supporters that they will benefit, benefit from. And not to mention, uh, since our current government uh, started off as a coalition of, you know, um, of Malay Muslim, uh, of, of Malay Muslim parties, right? Um, just to remind them also that young voters, uh, especially the the the, the the latest bunch of young voters have a higher percentage of Malay Muslim voters, right? So it's extremely ironic and extremely weird if this administration is afraid of people that are basically their target demographic, right? Higher percentage of Malay Muslim voters, people that may benefit them in places like Kelantan, Trungano, places in Johor, Pahang, and all that stuff, but they are somehow afraid, right? So that that gets you gets you to think, right? Um, why are they afraid, right? Because all data shows that the young voters are not going to be skewed in a certain way. It is fair game. It is bipartisan. So it's time to get it implemented. So the emergency is, uh, you know, slated to end by the, by August this year, and the calls for general election is just around the corner. I mean, all parties are all looking for election. So what is your reading of current political landscape? Back then, in the twenty eighteen general election, it looks like it's going to be a uh, a two party kind of side. You know, very obvious a line was drawn, but after what happened post uh, Sheraton move last year, it's a whole different kind of game this time. It's a whole different political realignment. So, how will young Malaysians vote this time around? Uh, honestly, I think I think it's very very hard to say. It's very very hard to say. I, I honestly I, I can't even make a prediction right now uh, because we don't even know who are the players yet, right? Uh, is it going to be PN versus PH plus? Right, um, or is it going to be PN, which is Bersatu and PAS uh, plus Gerakan, right? Or versus BN, which is AMNO and uh, AMNO MIC MCA, etc. Versus PH plus, right? So it might maybe a maybe a, a three three corner fight. Um, you know, there's also potential of uh, of certain PH parties maybe maybe working together with AMNO in certain areas, right? Uh, there there may also be state based coalitions where uh, where parties decide. Hey, you know what? On a federal level, we, maybe you guys can can collaborate, but on a state level, we don't want to work together, right? Which might be the case with uh, with uh, you know uh, Amno and Pass, right? Uh, or um, or Pass and what we see in Sabah, right? where yeah, exactly. Mm. On, on um, that's that's a very very good example too, right? Where on a federal level there may be an alignment, but on a state level there may be a disagreement and therefore a, a clash uh, between so-called friends. Right. So I think these are these are things that are very complicated. And to add to that also is is also the issue of who will be the next uh, political leaders, right? Um, who are who's going to be the prime minister candidates for each of these coalitions, right? So I I think it's very difficult to to really determine anything right now uh, in terms of who might be the candidates, uh, you know, who might be the best choices that the Malaysian youth will choose. Um, however, I do think in the end fundamentally. Um, Malaysian youth uh, will uh, vote um, very much according to um, to previous trends, right? Which is according to racial, religious, uh, and also geographic um, um, linkages, 
right? So that's not going to that's not going to go away. So which means that if you are a um, you know you are a Malay uh, Muslim youth from a from a rural area, you probably won't vote for the AP, right? Um, so you may choose one of the Malay majority parties, but the question might be which coalition you might prefer, right? I think that may be the the question uh, that uh, that you may have. But fundamentally, I think uh, I think this is across all polls, right? Um, one of the key issues that young voters tend to vote on across demographics is economic issues, right? So those who are, who are managed to sell economic populism, who managed to show that, hey, we have the right credentials in terms of protecting young Malaysians, giving the right benefits to young Malaysians, providing more welfare, uh, providing more job security. I think these are the people that will be able to benefit the most and be the preferred choice. Um, however, honestly, at this point, it's, it's really too unclear. Um, you know, uh, who knows, you know, um, maybe Bersatu might make a move and try to get Amno disbanded. Uh, you know, perhaps um, perhaps we might have a snap election earlier than August, right? There, there are just too many variables to be able to guess accurately. You know, looking at it, you know, like what you pointed out very clearly is that it's just the bitter old man uh, fighting for the primacy position again. And then Again, women again, women are always being left out. Young people are always being left out. And it's also very interesting, interesting to see how things are going to come about. Um, you know, Strawa State election was supposed to be held this year as well. And that has to be seen. And to see how things are going to move, you, you know, Muda is unable to get itself registered, Pejuang as well. You know, and then we do not see that, you know, a clear leadership from both sides. Both aisles of politics are really, really weak. You know, there's also a possibility that we may end up into, into a situation on a very, uh, a very difficult situation. There may be a hung parliament. You know, that, that sort of uncertainty will just, you know, lead up to this sort of, uh, upcoming election, we just open up the opportunities to just populist kind of manifestos and policies. You know, do you see that happening? Um, to be very, to be very honest with you, I think uh, I think uh, the manifestos, even in the previous election, were extremely populist. Right? They are so populist that when 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 they actually came into government, they were not able they were not able to implement it. Right? Um, so I think I think that is something that has already been happening. Right? A lot of a lot of times. Um, Malaysian elections has a has a tendency for extreme populism, right? Uh, either that or they or they use racial and religious rhetoric. So it's uh, it's basically either one. Uh, sometimes a combination of both, right? Um, so so I do think that uh, that that is a that is an issue. I what I hope is that um, a lot of Malaysians become more aware and more um, you know more uh, distrusting of political manifestos, right? Because we've seen all the all the parties. Um, in power, right? You know, we've seen we've seen BN in the past. They promised you a lot of things. They didn't. They did not deliver on a lot of things. PH, uh, they promised a lot of things. They did not deliver a lot of things. Now, pass for the first time. They are also in government, right? And they also promised a lot of things, right? And they are not also delivering, right? You know, whether it's RUU three five five, whether it's the the case of uh, protecting Adib, right? There are, there are various cases, various examples where even past supporters are feeling. That they are that they are being shortchanged, that they're being cheated, right? So I think this is part of the democratic maturity uh, that Malaysians have to undergo and and understand that uh, yes, political populism is exciting, it is sexy, uh, it gives people you know feeling like oh yeah I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fight for this party, but in the end um, you know when you become a government 
there are political realities that side in. There are certain stakeholders that you have to adhere to. There are civil service that you have to uh, that you have to respect in terms of the processes. Uh, there are many industry stakeholders, and also uh, let's be honest, there's also uh, deep state actors, right? That, that may stop certain uh, certain things from from moving forward. So these are things that that uh, that the public must learn to understand that uh, as part of our uh, our process of developing political democratic maturity. So let's take a step back, you know, looking at the things, what's going on around the region, you know. Uh, in, in ASEAN region, so we're seeing a rise of young people. You know, now they're in the streets, you know, despite COVID-19 pandemic, you know, we've seen in Myanmar, in Thailand, in Indonesia, making their voice heard, taking to the front lines. Uh, what, what's your take of what's happening over this region, particularly in ASEAN, uh, looking at how young people really took to the streets? For me, I think it's very much related to COVID-19, right? Uh, because COVID-19, of course, as a, as a pandemic, I mean, we, we, the, the, let's, let's put the healthcare side um, part aside. But COVID-19 has been a, a gift, um, you know, it's a great gift to all, um, you know, autocrats and dictators throughout the world, right? Uh, they've been using it as a, as a foil to justify uh, assaults on democracy, to justify mismanagement of the economy, to justify uh, anti-human rights, anti-liberty, uh, and a lot of uh, you know strong arm tactics, right? Uh, so this is something that is consistent across the world. So what what you're seeing is that in a lot of countries, um, they've been taking advantage of the fact that uh, young that that that, uh, that their citizens are not able to to speak up well, or or they are they are afraid of the pandemic in order to do to implement these kind of things, uh, military takeovers. Uh, government coups and all that stuff. So I think what 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 you're seeing around the, re the region is this sort of political frustration by young uh, people um, against this sort of uh, anti-democratic uh, or or just or basically um, you know autocratic uh, governance, right? Uh, that they're feeling, hey, let's take let's have our voice, um, you know, uh, you know, let let's let's have our say, and uh, we deserve a right. To, this, to, to choose our government, we deserve a right to, um, to, you know, to, to have better policies. And, um, and even with this pandemic, we deserve to, a right to, to live with dignity, right? Um, so I, I think that's, that's something that is that underlying uh, factor where people are angry, are frustrated. They're feeling that like their, their, their needs are not being uh, taken care of. So people are, are, are acting up, they're fighting back, they're protesting, they're rioting. And, um, you know, I think uh, honestly, if, if let's say uh, the administration doesn't get their act together, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if we will see that that situation in Malaysia too. So, I think you know on a, on a final note uh, to see that you know we are learning from our neighbours that despite COVID nineteen pandemic and its uh, potential of getting infected, people are still in the streets in defending what is they hold very dear that is the democratic right. In your final note, what you say? to a lot of young Malaysians out there? I think for young Malaysians out there uh, who are listening, um, I think for me is to, to remember to, to fight for what you believe in, right? Uh, I think no matter which government it is, no matter what the political situation it is, have a set of principles, uh, have a set of things that you think is important and remember to fight for it, right? Uh, whether it is for us, um, I'll always fight for the lowering of the voting age. I will always fight for the enfranchisement 
um, and the democratic rights of millions of Malaysians. I think that's something that's so important. And if you want to build uh, a genuinely good country, you want to build for the future, you have to include the youth. You have to include young people and our desires into democratic consideration. But for your, for your perspectives, right, if you believe in having a better economy, in better policies, better healthcare, better education system, uh, better jobs, uh, better wages, whatever you want, right? You can't just get angry on it, uh, angry, uh, angry privately and not act upon it. Realize your principles and start working actively on it, right? You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to, you know, sacrifice everything. But at the very least, start speaking up, start, start talking to people in your own community, start educating those around you and start acting. That's something that's so important and stop being apathetic, right? You are able to implement change. You just have to start acting. Now that really sums up our discussion today on uh, Uni 18 and how things are going to move forward in Malaysia, whether Uni 18, Uni 18 is going to be implemented this year or is it going to be, again, uh, put in the back burner. We don't know about it, but we hope that the the effort to uh, to to and make sure that we have universal suffrage in Malaysia should be implemented. It should be expanded and looking at how we Malaysians as young Malaysians should be participating actively in the democratic movement. So thank you so much, Tama, for joining me in this episode. And if you would like to support or, or um, you know, give your ideas or any suggestions, you can always uh, talk to Tarma or Kira, contact them at Unila Pamblas. If you would like to make monetary contributions, go ahead. I think this is a good time to really uh, share your your uh, participation uh, with, to help Unila Pamblas to you know, to achieve his dreams. I think it's not just dreams of uh, the, the co-founders. This is what we want in Malaysia. So if you are listening to Bichar Minguni, we are uncovering current affairs and politics, and you can listen to the stories and interviews on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you can find a good, uh, our podcast. So for more updates and stories, if you have any suggestions, you can tweet to me at Ainwango, or you can go to Tamar Pillai. What's your uh, Twitter handle? Tarma Pile. Tarma Pile. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so thank you, Tarma, and thank you all for listening. <laughs>